Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are joined by Andrew T. Andrew is a TV writer and the creator and co-host of the podcast, Yo! Is This Racist? We talk today about Andrew's journey from neuroscience major at Columbia to his writer's room on Mixed-ish to his past with white authors and so much more. The Stacks book club pick for December is A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, December 29th with Andrew T. If you want more of the stacks, you can find bonus episodes, a Discord community, virtual book clubs, and more over on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. I'd also like to give a quick shout out to our newest members of the stacks pack. Shalewa McCall, Anna Siskind, Kai Burton, Kimberly Pritchard, Michelle Garcia, Alina Prochazabowski, Tony Marie Wahlberg, and Liz Hutcherson. The Stacks is an independent podcast, so I really could not make this show without you all and the rest of the Stacks pack. So thank you. All right. I'm excited for you all to meet the one and only Andrew T. All right, everybody. I'm very excited. I am here today with writer, podcaster, friend of the show, uh, I don't know. All the great things. I'm here with Andrew T. Andrew, welcome to the Stacks. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited because this is sort of like the culmination of a months long kind of back and forth conversation between you and I about books and things. So now you're really here. Yeah. You've made it into the real book space and we're going to do this. I guess, yeah, the A side of this conversation happened on various uh, Yo, Is This Racist and Yo, Is This Racist adjacent platforms. But I do feel like I needed that. So essentially, uh, I had the admission that uh, the the hard realization, but also when I think the I think it was the first time uh, Tracy was a guest on the show. Yeah, I basically was in the middle of a crisis, having realized over the pandemic two things. One is that I hadn't read anything at all for <laughs> several years that wasn't somehow work related. Like I'd read books um but it was always with uh you know it it, 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 not something that i would have read had i not been like trying to get a job on a tv show adaptation of it or like you know for there was always an an ulterior motive work-related ulterior motive and truly i think that was like 
God, I mean, shameful to admit, but like, <laughs> I, I feel like I said out loud three or four years, there's a real chance it was like closer to eight, okay. five, six <laughs> years, like just like for so long. And part of it is, I think I was like, you know, kind of barely finding my feet as like a writer. And so just like every waking moment was consumed with like writing or like reading about writing or trying to get a job or something like that. And I was reading a lot of scripts. So, and like watching a lot of TV and movies. So yeah. So it's just very shameful. So anyway, which is all (laughs) to say, uh, you came on and uh, gave me uh, an incredible recommendation list of things to read. Oh, I'm sorry. And there was a second thing, which is in pandemic, I had that realization. I was like, well, that's fine. I have all this free time. I'm going to get some reading done. And then I looked at my like existing books on my bookshelf, you know, including sort of the, the kind of like picked it up, but hadn't, hadn't um, read yet. And I was like, oh, this is overwhelmingly white people, white men specifically. And so I was like, oh God, this is real bad. So um, yeah, that, that, uh, any, anyway, and now, which is all to say you came on and, and gave me an incredible, me and the listeners really gave everybody an incredible suggestion, uh, list of books. And I've been kind of working my way through it with, and, and I'm only genuinely sort of now feeling like capable of being a guest <laughs> on the stacks, like having read something that wasn't for fucking work. And, and like, I guess, honestly, like kind of enjoying reading again. Yay. Um, Cause I, th- I think it was just like one of those things where it was not fun to me, like yeah. reading yeah. books for work. Um, yeah. I want you to tell people a little bit about yourself. So can you tell us maybe like where you're from and maybe what you do for work? Where, mm-hmm. Just give us a little. Rundown. Yeah. This is a fucking let's do it. Uh, so I'm I'm from Michigan. Um, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is like a, a university town. Um, and, you know, my parents met there in grad school and just sort of. Stayed. Wow. But Michigan is not like super asian there are folks who are asian but not not a ton a ton actually and as a kid i think this this might be a little interesting to people is that like have because i had immigrant parents um i think i'm gonna assume this is because i had immigrant parents (laughs) um well i'm about to say something that's a little wrong but i still think it's somehow related to this which is that like my parents like did not really I think get or understand like Western media gender roles in Western media. Mm. So I have a, I have a sister who's two years younger and I just, as a kid, like I read all of my books, but I read all of her books as well. So Mm. like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm someone who like read every single babysitter's club book, at least until some, some cutoff. I don't remember when she stopped buying them and like, I, you know, I, and I didn't really process the, you know, I just kind of read everything that was in the house, sometimes not even really liking it that much. I think it was just like reading all the time. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, so yeah, I, for a long time, I, I like, as a kid, I read a lot of girls books. Actually, it's very weird because my mom is very like, my mom kind of handled all this stuff is very sort of like heteronormative gender roles, you know, born in the, born in the forties type person. But also she would, she took me to figure skating classes and synchronized swimming classes with my (laughs) sister as a child. Yeah. Anyway, so I read everything in the house. I Um, love that. It's still, still like very like boy centric. I think I like, you know, though I read every babysitter's club, 
I probably like read The Hobbit three or four times. Okay. Things like that. Like, I was still, but I was, yeah, it's just very. Anyway, the, I guess I, the upshot is like, I never really like think about what kind of books I like until honestly, like when, when the first time we were talking about it, it was like, oh shit, what do I like? <laughs> I, don't really know. I know when I asked um, you, you were like, um, I like books about things. I was like, this is yeah, not helpful. <laughs> no. Yeah. But I, that really is how my brain works. Yeah. Like I just like, I, I, and that has been, yeah, it's, it's just that I never really thought about what kind of reader I am. Um, wait, and you said your parents to, are immigrants. Recently. Where are your parents from? Yeah. I'm from Hong Kong. And, uh, I guess my dad was raised in Taiwan. Okay. Um, so yeah, so they met here, but they, they're, you know, pretty Chinese. Got it. And then I went to college in New York at Columbia, um, which has sort of like one of those like very white guy, like great books Mm -hmm. programs. Mm -hmm. Um, So which everyone has to take a a, like sort of truncated classics um, curriculum. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it's still pretty like it's like two years of uh, essentially like a great books type course and then like art history and music history. Wow. something else it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff but it is one of those like i I realized actually because columbia is is one of those like ivy league schools that knows that isn't you know where the geniuses go (laughs) um and really what it is is that curriculum is so that like stockbrokers can have something to talk about Uh, when they like meet meet smart people (laughs) it's really like (laughs) the point of that fucking curriculum at least in modern times what did you major in i majored in neuroscience what the fuck? Uh, yeah. I, when I was in late high school, I guess, like probably junior, sophomore, sort of, not to get ahead of the questions, but I really, really, really liked the popular science books of Richard Dawkins, oh. um, specifically The Selfish Gene, because I it really like very clearly explained um, evolution and how it works. And so I, I got to college sort of, being like really inspired by that sort of like Oliver Sacks, like um, mm. that type of uh, book. Um, Richard Dawkins, Oliver Sacks, I guess, are the two main <laughs> ones in that sphere, at least that I knew of. Um, but then, how did you become a writer of TV and comedy and things? So I think what what happened was like uh, along the lines of the like um, realizing what like Columbia it was as a school. Um, it's sort of that too. It's like I, I majored in neuroscience because I thought I was going to be a scientist. Right. And it became like really clear that everyone else in the major was just sort of a grade grubbing wannabe um, <laughs> physician. And if anyone's heard me on actually, I've talked about this on several other podcasts. I have like very little respect for physicians as people uh, or, or I, I not, not little respect, but I, I, I'm sort of, and part of it is I have a bunch of like doctors in the family and it's like, they're mechanics, like they're <laughs> mechanics with very high stakes, but they are not, you know, you do not need to be exceptionally smart to be a doctor. My husband um, is a doctor and I can co-sign this, though he yeah. is exceptionally smart, but he, a lot of his but, friends. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to be. It's, right. it's the system. The system works fairly well, but you know, all the ways that it fails is because of the bias in the cogs and right. that bias. I mean, I think the, the, the way I think of it is there's a, 
a person who I went to undergrad with, who Uh-oh. is a, I believe, a successful doctor now, and he would cheat off me in biology class. And right. I'm like, this motherfucker, like, <laughs> right, 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 a doctor right. now, like, give me a fucking break. But also, <laughs> it's like, you know, all my family members, I'm like, they're okay, but <laughs> you know, you know, you don't have to be smart to be a doctor right anyway so i hated everyone in the major except actually for the one person who i kind of got along with um is uh and i'm i'm not like did not maintain a friendship with this person or anything is uh now i believe disgraced uh science writer jonah lehrer was like one of my kind of friends he was he was lying yeah, right? he plagiarized some stuff yeah. and like fabricated some stuff, kind of probably not like super consequentially, except in as much as he was writing in a journalistic yeah. way about it. Yeah, but it it wasn't quite like a like the other like fantasists and plagiarists of right. that era, I think. So I read a book called "So You've Been Publicly Shamed," and we did the book on the podcast, and there's a huge chapter on him. Oh, okay. About what yeah. happened. I can't exactly remember the details because it was a few years back that we did it. But I think you're right. It was like he was making claims about things that were plagiarized and also weren't. He had yeah. plagiarized and then like made some false claims like weren't really backed up about. But it was like in a book, I believe, that he wrote. And- yeah. The one that I remember, which is particularly bonkers, was he he like fabricated a Bob Dylan lyric. Yes, that's right. A Bob which Dylan was quote. Like, a Bob Dylan a quote. quote. Sure. Yeah. Which is like, if you know that your your audience is fucking NPR people, essentially, right. why would you step into that Right. Easily falsifiable territory, especially right. for that particular audience. And it was like, it was like, the quote was so basic. It was like, yes. it was like, I yeah. love playing guitar, said Bob yeah. Dylan. And it was like, yeah. okay, we don't yeah. even need but this quote. <laughs> it was, it was like a weird, like, clearly it was just sort of like more the ethical step rather yeah. than the like, like the specifics of the, and I, I if I recall, that is, that is all he did i, I don't can't know remember. anyway it was just very Anyways, funny he's your friend like, he, he's your best friend he was yeah exactly <laughs> but he was gonna be he actually for a time had the job that i thought i wanted before i actually studied neuroscience which wow. is he was the guy that like was sort of the media face of talking about neuroscience I see. or whatever but i hated all those people but i was too deep into the major to like get out right. and so for the rest of my Uh, Second half of my undergraduate career, besides like grudgingly finishing up the neuroscience stuff, I was like trying to be a photographer. Mm. Um, So I like took a bunch of classes with actually some other now disgraced uh, (laughs) faculty at Columbia. (laughs) I deserve my tuition back. I realize as I'm talking, I'm like, give me my fucking money back because this was a scam. I mean, yeah, but like truly so much like like disgrace uh connected and this this one i think is more like i guess i should say allegedly because i i would only i heard this secondhand but yeah it sounds the behavior i'd heard comports with what i would imagine okay. this person could be capable of but i guess i don't know but yeah so i took a bunch of photography classes and like i i, I was like i'm gonna be this kind of artist and i spent 
all of my 20s living in New York, working a day job at Comedy Central as like a, essentially like a website producer. And I'll just age myself and say this was in the era when that was not a cool job. Um, (laughs) It was like before, before real shit was online. And yeah, then they moved me out to LA. I started meeting working comedy writers and I was like, hold on. I could fucking do this. Um, and somewhere in there, I started writing the blog, Yo, Is This Racist, that became the podcast, Yo, Is This Racist. And sort of concurrently, I, this is where I, I'd have to like sit down and stare at a timeline to remember exactly the order. Um, but the the podcast opened uh, enough doors to, you know, get me into a, the, the first baby steps in the Hollywood machine. And then I... Wrote wrote some scripts and got hired to write on the show Mixedish on ABC. Um, so so about to about to hopefully you know keep writing TV, which is uh, good because God knows what else I would do <laughs> at this point in my life. Um, but yeah, also in there. So uh, as I started the Yosis Races podcast by myself, but uh, somewhere a couple of years ago, well, many years ago now, probably longer than not, um, my co-host Tawny Newsom, uh, mm. who is how I met Tracy. Uh, became part of the show and uh yeah that has just been what i do but yeah so and the yosis racist is essentially um tawny and i um answering questions about whether (laughs) things are racist uh from people and like most advice columns shows it's never really about the question it's about (laughs) the conversation that is spurred by the heart of the question and yeah that's I think I think I think you did a, it. Is that a full catch up? Yeah, I think so. Oh my gosh, your <laughs> life story. Um, for yeah. everybody who's like that name, Tawny Newsom sounds familiar. Tawny was on this show. If you're an OG Stacks listener, back in January 2019, and we did Home Fire on the show. So a lot of you who are OGs, you loved Tawny and that episode. So check it out if you haven't. Um, but yeah, I know Tawny. She used to take my flywheel class, and so it's a very weird, random like connection, but I'm so glad that it exists. Um, Okay. I want to talk about Yo, Is This Racist? Because you talk about racism every week for years (laughs) now. And I just want to know, do you ever get tired of talking about it? Like, are you ever just like, I don't want to do this. Like, it's so fucking enraging sometimes. And I have to get on here and pretend like it's like funny and cute sometimes. So I'm curious how that works for you. Well, I think that feeling has diminished a little bit since Tawny got on board. Mm. And that is because, so in, before when it was solo with guests, um, if sometimes there were just weeks where it was like, I don't, <laughs> we can't do this shit. Like, right. I just don't want to. It's not good. Um, but sort of two things happen, which is like one, Tawny joining sort of made it so that we as friends could always have a discussion about whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. even when it's not hard, not fun. I mean, especially uh, there were plenty of episodes last year where it was like, okay, this is what's happening. I think the other thing that is sort of nice is that because we are both comedy people, it's less of a concern. Like we're, we're able to not worry about whether it's funny. Like the show doesn't just simply doesn't have to be funny. Right. Which is like, I think helpful, you know, it's, it's the, like, we are funny people 
hopefully I'm a funny person, but you get it. Like we're, we're, we're people that I think, you know, people who listen to our show enjoy listening to. And mostly we are people who are going for laughs and going for fun, but we don't have to. And another thing actually sort of like maybe unexpectedly is one thing I did find, I say this glibly or it sounds glib when I say it, but it is true that having the show Yo! Is This Racist allows me to actually very clearly delineate a boundary in my personal life. Mm. Like, oh, right. And one of the origins of the show, I guess I could back up, is like, so when I worked at Comedy Central, I was very, very, very often, not always, but very often, the only person of any type of color in the room when various things were being discussed. So I would often have to be the proxy for all people of color when shit came up, either implicitly or sometimes explicitly. And it's like... I'm not, you know, often it was like you know, about black people. And I was like, I'm not black. It happens that this is clearly racist and I will say it, you know, but it's not that cool that I'm the only person right. here to even fucking have this conversation. But now, you know, and, and it there's less of it now, but it's still like when you work in comedy, um, you often find yourself the only person of color in the room or not. Right. Often. I mean, I, you know what? That's probably true for any industry, actually, yeah. as, I, as I say it out loud. But it is now a, truly a, a place where I can say, sorry, I'm not on the clock. Like, you, I, can, I can shunt this, that type of emotional labor to like, you know, an hour and a half a week right. on, on air. Uh, and so though I say it lightly when people ask me something I don't want to deal with, I mean it <laughs> like I'll say I'm not on the clock and I will not answer their question. Right, like, right, 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 right. Um, hopefully it's it's light and I could get a laugh out of it and no one is like upset. I guess I don't really care if they are upset or, you know, there's probably a little bit of Hollywood triangulating where I am less inclined to upset powerful people because right. I'm a coward. Sure. But, um, <laughs> um, Aren't we all? But yeah, yeah, this is just, it's a little tough. But yeah, so, so... Yes, but uh, the, the sort of the heart of the question is yes, but I actually find it helpful to mm-hmm. like have the racism thing that can just be separate should I choose to. Do you find that your friends come to you and are like, Andrew, is this thing racist like in everyday life that you have to use that a lot? I think I have sort of successfully alienated the white friends okay. that would annoyingly do that enough so that. They just know not to do it slash aren't my friends anymore, right. which is fine. Yeah. Yeah. I I tend not to have to use it very often. But it's also, I do think, like, this is something, I've, I feel like I've heard you say some version of this uh, over the last couple of years, or year really, as well, which is that, like, at least the type of, like, white folks that are gonna be receptive to my vibe about <laughs> race have become more educated in the last like we'll call it year two years yeah some of them since trump like you know they're for for as annoying as some of those folks can be at times some of them have also quote done the work done the reading you know and like whether whether it's it's like sort of necessary but not sufficient always but they are taking steps and like again it, it can be good and bad. I mean, it's always actually good. It's good. <laughs> it's only really bad when they think 
that doing some of the work means they're finished. Um, yeah. I, I listened to this. I won't name names because this is sort of mean, but I listened to this podcast um, and this woman was interviewing an author who had written a book about anti-racism and, you know, the author is a black, she's mixed, she's black and I think white. She's talking about how, you know, white people need to do this, white people need to do that. And the host of the show, who is very much a white woman, was like, you know, well, what about the white people who have done the work? And I was like listening to this episode and it was so, it was such a horrible moment because I was so embarrassed for the white woman because I was like, yeah. you are fucking up so bad right now. And you think you're like <laughs> defending whiteness. And I was even more just devastated for this black woman who had written an entire book on the issue and has lived an entire life with racism, having to explain to this horrible white woman why the work is never done and like having to do this like super elementary expl It just was like so horrible. So now whenever I hear like do the work, it's, I already hated it, but now I hate it even more because yeah. it's just so yeah. embarrassing to me. Um, okay. This yeah. is sort of a joke question, but it's also comes from a genuine place of curiosity. On the show, Yo, Is This Racist? People like call in and ask you if things are racist. And I've done the show three times now. And I mean, six voicemails total. And they've all been racist. Is it ever not racist? I mean... The answer is, of course not. Like, <laughs> given given that, you know, we live in the country we live in. Right. I mean, the the sort of like, if you if you peel back the mechanics of how the, the show works, is that it will always be racist because right. we live in America. Right, right, we, right. we lived in a country where people weren't free and on stolen land and, and, and we're the dominant global superpower. So it can... <laughs> there is a way that it is not racist. I, I will say a criticism that has been leveled at the show and me specifically a lot is that the, the sort of this like, yo, is this racist devalues the word racist um, by, you know, you call everything racist. Mm. So blah, blah, blah. And it is like a thing where they almost get it um, right. <laughs> when people when people say that to me, because the thing is, everything is like built on a platform of white supremacy right. so it's a sort of a view of of looking at the world and it there's a the i think the thing that hopefully sinks in for some people is that like doing something you know racist is obviously sort of like a juvenile term at this point like right. it doesn't really describe enough but it's like you know generally upholding white supremacy is not the end of the world. Right. Like when you do shit like that, it is sort of the like it's the process, not it's it's the cover up, not the crime of it. It's right. like we all fuck up constantly. It's okay. Like and I my I I this never comes across the right way, but the <laughs> the person I hold up as the example of this who is like sort of problematic in other ways with how they do it is beloved white celebrity Lena Dunham who mm. I will say for all her flaws, like never digs in as far as I can tell, like fucks up constantly. constantly. And, and there's then the argument that like, you know, the apologies are cheap and, and maybe the fucking up is becoming willful ignorance at a certain point. And that's like very 
a reasonable rejoinder to when I say this. However, she fucks up constantly and apologizes immediately. And, you know, at least somewhat, uh, you know, sounding like somewhat truthful, I guess. Like, like it sounds, it at least has the language of honesty. And look, maybe this is like, just like an educated white person, like weaponizing their liberal arts education. But compared to everyone else that does the shit that she does, who is in the position she's in, she is definitely like top of class. Right. I I think you're right. I think, I mean, I lean it on them, but um, sure. But like, right. No, of course. But I think like the thing that, that I I'm, I'm with you on is like, calling someone a racist or like saying something that someone's done, I guess not calling someone a racist, but saying that something you that has been done is racist to me is like so minor. Like yeah. to have, to have done something that is racist in a moment is like, okay, so you're alive in America, you know? Yeah. And like, if you really want to dig in, you know, there are ways that people of color can be prejudicial to one another. You know, it might not be racism because of the power structure and like the semantics of the whole thing, but like things that we would consider white people being racist for, for doing, et cetera, et cetera. Like these things happen constantly and not necessarily intentionally and sometimes very intentionally and all of that. But the trick of whiteness is that white folks have found a way to make saying anything is racist, the number one insult on the face of the planet. So you can't have these like little nuanced conversations about race because if you say racist or racism, it's like you've literally said someone is a baby killer, like couldn't be worse. So I feel like that's like where it gets really tricky is like, I would love to have more nuanced conversations about racist moments in life, but like I can't because white people are crying because I called them a racist. Oh no. Like, well, I, I, I think the, hopefully the thing that come, that is like the viewpoint changer that I think maybe a lot of white folks don't think about or don't feel is like, like it's the difference of realizing that saying some, something or someone even is racist. Um, I think a lot of white people think that's the end of the conversation. And I think, I think that's the beginning (laughs) beginning. of the conversation. It's like lying. Like when people talk about like how lie, like don't ever tell a lie. And like, if you say someone lied, it's like a mortal sin. But really, I'm just like, oh, you lied in this moment. Like, how can we move forward? Yeah. Or I mean, truly, it's like, you know, you committed perjury, but let's litigate it. Let's talk about like what happened here. Right, right. right. Um, So, yeah. And and the thing, the nice thing about Yosef's racist is that like for neither Tanya or I, like we're we're able to like, you know, just use it as a place to say our piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we've always been like, look, this is like fucking. We would have these conversations anyway, and it's nice to like check in with your friend once right. a week, right, 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 uh, and especially over like you know staying locking down and like like being being in uh, inside all the time. It was just like look, at least I have one thing on the books every week where I'm right. like seeing someone's face. Talking to a person. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to transition off of this and we do this thing every week called Ask the Stacks. I have not prepared you for this, but get ready. Um, it's sort of what you did to me, but I was prepared, which is book recommendations. So someone's written mm-hmm. in for a book recommendation. I'll read you what they said. This one's a little long. And then I'm going to give them three recommendations. You can give them like one. It's fine. 
Okay, so this comes from Holly, and they say, I am a first grade teacher, and I love reading anything that expands my worldview and makes me a better person when dealing with my students and their families. I studied both psychology and education in school, and I'm passionate about both subjects and always want to learn more about people and what made them that way. I like both fiction and nonfiction, and I find that what drags me into both is strong characters or people at the forefront. Recently, I loved Jesus Land, How We Fight for Our Lives, Minor Feelings, Homegoing, and The Office of Historical Corrections. I have never really gotten into sci-fi or anything too far into the fantasy or magical realism world. Anything involving kids, parenting, teaching is welcome. The end. So I'll start. Mm. I'll give a few. Yeah. I'll give a few and you can think and give some of your <laughs> own. Um, so my first one is, I know you said you're not really into sci-fi, but that sounded like a challenge to me. So, <laughs> so I'm going to present you with Kindred by Octavia Butler. It's a little more, it's a little sci-fi, but it's rooted in a lot of real stuff. It's about a woman, a black woman who is time traveled back into slavery. So it's really good. It's Octavia Butler. It's good. My next one is called Cultish by Amanda Montel. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, you would have heard Amanda on the podcast two weeks ago. Um, it's all about the language of fanaticism. So she she's a linguist and she writes all about language and the ways that it evolves and changes and like the different linguistic tricks of cults ranging from Jonestown to Scientology to multi-level marketing companies to QAnon. And it's really, really cool. And then my last one is a book called What Doesn't Kill You by Tessa Miller. Um, Tessa Miller has Crohn's disease. It's a book all about chronic illness. Um, it's a memoir, but it also has a lot of researched elements. I found it really interesting, especially speaking to the point of like wanting to know more about what makes people who they are. Um, I am ashamed to admit, but also not that ashamed that I won't admit it. I am probably very ableist to ableist, like I just because I've been lucky to be healthy and most of my family has too. And so I don't think about a lot of things like chronic illness and disability as much as I certainly should be. So this book for me really helped me to understand places where I'm lacking in understanding, but also helped me to understand the ways that other people are struggling, struggling physically, which is just something that I, I was not taking into consideration nearly enough. So those are my three recommendations. Andrew, what do you have for Holly? So, uh, off the, the listener mentioning minor feelings, mm. I, I will say I was surprised by how much I liked interior Chinatown mm. because it slow walked me a little bit. I, I, the first half of it, I was like, okay. Um, oh, I, so I guess what I should say is like, like the way I think Minor Feelings does a really good job of capturing sort of the interior monologue of uh, Asian American women. Mm -hmm. Interior Chinatown does a really, a, a different sort of thing. It does it in a different way, but does sort of a similar thing with Asian men, including so much of the like sort of, toxic masculinity of Asian men that I think like does not really get explored in like a wide conversation very much. Um, it's a thing where, and it's a thing that I just didn't realize I hadn't seen it like kind of worked through um, in, in media in a way, but oh, sorry, I should say also like toxic masculinity and also a little bit of the like it, it landed the anti-blackness of the Asian community mm. in a way that I was like, 
really like, oh, this is, it's not doing a good job with this until it does. Right. Um, uh, in a way that I think those are conversations that at least for me aren't out there very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really, really glad to see it. So I think that's, that's the thing I've read most recently that like, I think probably provides a, a an interesting counterpoint to minor feelings, not I counterpoint, but just sort of like filling in like the, some of the specific shit that Asian men have in their head, Asian American men have in their heads right. that, yeah. Okay. Holly, that's your, those are your recommendations. Um, for those of you at home, if you want to get a book recommendation on the air, email askthestacks at thestackspodcast.com. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back from our break. Okay, we're going to do the stacks question. So we start here always, two books you love, one book you hate. Yeah, I'm going to start actually 
<laughs> with the uh, the one book I hate with like a big old big old caveat okay. to it, um, and it's a book you've you've brought up uh, already. And I, I I should say I think I only read one chapter of it. Oh god! Um, but uh, so you've been publicly shamed. Oh yeah, I sort of hate that book too. Okay, yeah, we um, talked a lot. I talked a-, a lot of shit about it on the show. Don't worry. Oh good. Okay. <laughs> but it was it's a thing where like. And I think it was more like listening to John Ronson talk about it after the fact. Mm. In, in it sort of took on a life of its own, and then the way it got taken up by the right wing as like it sort of honestly was like the corners is a, a founding text of like this fake like cancel yeah. anti cancel culture um, outrage. But like the thing I hate about that book is like it, it's it was sort of the same that and. Um, hillbilly elegy mm. um where just hearing like the log line essentially for the book i was like that book is made to comfort bigots yeah and so i i think i read one chapter or i read like the the beginning the the one about the the publicist who like tweeted something racist oh, yeah. and then was fired and and it really is just like if you're so mad and, and then everything else that i read in the book is like yeah the mechanics of public shaming okay it's it takes a toll. But if you're so mad about public shame, why don't you address some of the underlying issues that cause this groundswell of rage? Right, right, um, right Anyway, right. that's a book that I think, like, uh, enough people I like, like think that. But it's always the kind of, like, well-meaning white people that yeah. are like, oh, man, didn't you love this book? And it's like, yeah. this shit is... We is did it out. with the well-meaning white woman on this show. And it was before, it was like, March 2020. And I think that I was pretty critical on the episode, but I didn't go as hard as I maybe would have liked to because she really was appreciative of a lot of the book. But the book is fucked. Okay. It totally I, I is. couldn't I couldn't make it through it. But I was just like, this is not this, this is it, it it is like, yeah, you you just kind of watch it be you can just tell the bedfellows of of the book mm-hmm. um sort of tell you what it really is yeah um and, and i know it's two books you you love and one book you hate but the other one is and i think i i did allude to this on another uh another yours racist episode but i'm currently um working on a podcast project where i'm reading atlas shrugged and for reasons that are too dumb to get into <laughs> i'm rereading it for the second time oh my god and good motherfucking god it is just horrible so you're giving me two books you hate and one book you love i guess so okay. uh and then and uh <laughs> well that's just came to mind i just i just was like thinking about it because that's what i've been i love doing. book like, hate on this show everyone on this show tries to be so polite and i'm like no tell me a book you fucking hate i know you hate books well i think the other thing is actually so Maybe, maybe the other like looking at the psychology of it, and it, this is something I left out of of my uh, bio at the top this time. Not on. I actually intended to mention this, but I forgot. Which is like, I also uh, in my twenties in New York, I was also like I had a lot of friends like right out of college who were like assistants at publishing houses, mm. and so I was like getting a lot of books. And it was also like once again to age myself, like during that heyday of New York, like McSweeney's and right. like. Iowa writing workshop people coming out. And a thing that I realized when I was looking at my bookshelf is like so many of these, and I guess, so they were probably like sort of Gen X white people or like old millennial white folks. And 
So many of those people that I like, quote unquote, loved when I was in my 20s are horrible, like alt-right idiots now. I think specifically, I remember I had a galley of a Meek and Down book that mm. I really loved in my 20s. And I just remember this, like some sometime during, you know, 2020, like realizing I owned it, throwing it away and being like, <laughs> good fucking God. <laughs> Although that being said, I still have, I still have the selfish gene on my bookshelf. But yeah, it's just so many, like, as you let these white intellectuals continue to have public life, it's like, it is weirdly troubling how many of them just fold straight into, you know, racism, usually transphobia, it seems like is increasingly popular. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, too, is like now there's this call for diversity in publishing. And what they've ended up doing is a not getting any more diverse, big surprise, but b finding voices of people of color that speak to the exact same thing as these like alt right people from or like pre all people. You know, it's like I think of I mean, I'm not saying that this person is quite as bad as, you know, John Ronson or whatever. But like I think of like Emmanuel Acho, who is like difficult conversations with black people and he spends all his time coddling white people about why they're not racist. And it's like, that's not (laughs) actually diversity in publishing. That's just a black person writing what a white person wishes they could write. Um, Mm -hmm. So I find that to be an interesting twist. And there's a lot of different, you know, books like that. So sorry, Emmanuel, but you're not my fave. (laughs) (laughs) I, but I think that's, that's kind of how it always is. It's like, it's still like every time, I mean, look in Hollywood, it's arguably worse Yeah, because it's like every time there's a push for diversity, it doesn't include diversifying the audience. Right. If that makes sense. Right. Like, you know, I will, I will just say like, I, this is not, sorry. I, I, I'm almost framing this like it's, it's, uh, you know, going to be shady, but it isn't, it is. <laughs> um, but like, so I worked on the show mixed dish and like, that's, it was on ABC on primetime. And there, of course, was an acknowledgement that a significant portion of the target audience of the show is white. And so it's a thing where it's like, and I think all credit to my bosses, they really like, were like, yes, but you know, in the case of mixed dish, it's like telling this, like both mixed and black point of view and, and knowing that there will be some handholding, but doing the handholding in like the, hopefully funniest and most like creative way. And, and that was like interesting, but it is, it is still like the, the, the thing hanging over everyone's, everyone's head is like at the end of the day, like 10 powerful white people are going to decide whether this is palatable for the millions of white people that are hopefully watching this. So right. it is like a little bit of a dance. Um, and it, you know, so that's the same thing. It's like, you see it all the time. It's like the audience, it's still white people, even when it's like, a push for diversity, which right. is like, I think part of the problem. It's like not, not just diversifying the media, but diversifying the audience. Yeah, um, totally. You haven't told me a book you love still. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, well, which is all to say, I'm trying to think, cause it's like the sort of embarrassing shit. Um, I think the two that I was going to say, um, that are, were both like, like really hit me, although I'm curious whether they would hit me the same way. I'm also not a person that revisits books very often. Yeah. But uh, the first would be Hard-Boiled Wonderland at the End of the World, uh, Haruki Murakami, um, which I was a little bit saving because I'm like, this also, yeah, this this speaks to other (laughs) questions as well. Um, But I I, I loved, um, 
yeah, I just, I love that book. I think I like it more than his other, like, books because it's maybe a little more straightforward and, mm-hmm. like, a little more cinematic, maybe. Um, but I think it was that my first exposure to, like, this, like, cool, magical realism mm. Asian person, mm-hmm. Asian point of view that I think, yeah, I, I was really inspired by that. And then uh, another one, which is a um, a book I also have not, read in a long time i wonder if i would hold up for me is uh colson whitehead's the intuitionist Mm. um which i just i think it must have just been i was in that time of like magical realism and people of color is what i need because Mm -hmm. i have otherwise all these confessional white people which i think i like (laughs) right um but those are the two books from that era that i think would hold up more than all the other shit that i like (laughs) in my most literary time i'm like actively embarrassed about liking and having liked yeah, okay. I think I think those are my my books. Okay, and what what's a book that maybe you're looking forward to reading? I will say actually. So while while we were doing this, um, I I pulled up the the physical uh, stack, and for some reason, I thought we were going to do the How We Fight for Our Lives by oh. Saeed Jones, and I'm looking forward to reading that mainly because like I think I just started paying more attention to Saeed on. Twitter and like I was on a Zoom with him like mm-hmm. early in the pandemic. It's like this is the most charming motherfucker. He's so so great. I guess for like personal reasons, this is this is the book I'm I'm gonna uh dig into next. I think it's one of my favorites. It's so good. He's so great and he is so charming and lovely and smart and wonderful yeah. and just all the things. <laughs> um yeah. what are you reading right now? Honestly, nothing. I just finished um another one of your recommendations, Exciting Times. That wasn't um, my recommendation. It wasn't? Mm-mm. I don't know that book. Oh, how do I have it then? I don't know. Maybe, Gosh, well, maybe you recommended it to yourself. I, f- I genuinely feel like this is impossible. I don't know. <laughs> Did Tawny maybe recommend it when we were talking? I guess it's possible. Because she recommended <laughs> a few books. I mean, I 1,000% pulled it from the big big stack of okay. stacks recommendations okay. that I had been just keeping there. So because it, cause it is, it's uh, written by a white woman, um, but it's, it's, is it the Irish like book or a, something? Yeah. yeah it was like Tawny's a, recommendation. A bit of a, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was like a very fun, it is kind of just like a millennial queer romance mm. in, in Hong Kong. Um, I will say actually going back to my initial pathology about my reading, as I was reading it, I was like, I know it's been optioned, but I, I would I would like to. There's there's a couple of people I know that I would like to see take a crack at this oh God, uh, as a that. as a movie. <laughs> I love that. Okay, aside from me, where do you find books to pick up, or am I it for you? You are currently it, honestly. Okay. Um, I love it because because I I read in like fits and starts, and I just have too much to get through, and so far. They've all been they've all been great. Like at no point have I been like, um, you know, I don't want to do this. So <laughs> I'm gonna power. I'm gonna power. I just feel like because because I'm fortunate to know you. By the time I power through this, uh, power through. I I struggle past <laughs> the finish line with this stack I have. It will be not uncool for me to ask for another recommendation you can always ask me for recommendations it's like all i do is give book racks so that's that's uh the selfish thing is i 
currently have no need for anything beyond <laughs> you to, as as a book. And and it, it, but but I think it it also just like obviously speaks to how you do this shit that it is like they're the they're perfect. It's so good. I think the other one that I really 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 liked a lot and it helped that it dovetailed with um a piece of TV I liked a lot was reading there, there, mm. while Reservation Dogs mm. was was airing. Oh, there, there, um, so it really bad. Got me into that, like you know, obviously superficially, it's about natives, but I think there also is that, like, the children of it, the like, again, the sort of naive, toxic masculinity of it mm-hmm. that I really, really responded to uh, as as a double feature, essentially. I just right. think like there, there into Reservation Dogs was like fucking wonderful as a as a media experience there's supposed to be a sequel of there there coming that tommy orange is working on so i'm very excited i'm not sure when i there's no title or anything but i've heard him talk about it in a few events like he's working on it yeah it feels like except i I, this is how sick and depressing hollywood is i would i would have said it would be a great tv series Mm -hmm. except I think the existence of Reservation Dogs will, in the minds of the white gatekeepers right. of Hollywood, will prevent it from happening uh, at least anytime soon. So sad. Um, I guess I don't know. And maybe I'm like, you know. I hope you're wrong. I, I don't know. I do too. Yeah. But that is just my guess. Yeah. Do you have any favorite bookstores? Um, I bought a lot of stuff from, I think I bought this whole list from Stories uh bookstore and cafe near me in LA. Okay. Is it my favorite bookstore? I think in the absence of a better candidate, I suppose I, I probably, I don't have like an emotional attachment to bookstores the way I think some people do. Right. Yeah. Cause I think probably depressingly after buying stuff on stories intentionally, my next biggest bookstore is Amazon, which is, I know, deeply uncool and deeply fucked up. But it's, it is a thing where when I lived in New York, I don't even know if it's, it must be there in some capacity, but I I was a like, go to the strand every Saturday afternoon and just buy something. Yeah. It's definitely still there. The strand. Yeah. Yeah. I figured it's like an institution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you think of the last book that made you laugh? Oh my gosh, I can't. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about that uh, as we were leading up to this because I, I'm very much not like a, like I, I think my problem is I, I maybe have like worked in comedy just long mm-hmm. enough where it's like I, it's really rare that I laugh physically out loud yeah. at anything. But also it, maybe it's the nature of like like the comedy comedic classics. Mm-hmm. Um but like I, I think I think to me the the biggest example is Confederacy of Dunces, where oh, yeah. everyone My brother loved that book. I hated it. I couldn't get through couldn't it. Get and through it. so many people were like, it's the funniest thing you've ever read. I'm like, I don't think it is. It's a no. Yeah. <laughs> so I it's but it's sort of like that, like all the classic, like this is hilarious books, like I rarely find them really funny. I just ooh. I I think genuinely I can't I can't think of do you know Samantha Irby? What it is. Do you know who that is? Um, she writes for yeah. Tuca and Birdie. And she's yeah. written three books. And she writes comedy essays. And I generally hate anything that's supposed to be funny. Stand-up comedy included. I like hate all forms of comedy. But her books yeah. are actually kind of funny. I listen to them on audio. And so I feel like that makes it better because she reads it. And she's 
really funny. And she's a writer who's funny. So her books are funny because it's in the format that she's one of the formats that she's funny. So if you ever do want to laugh, I recommend it. But I also don't love to read funny. So I get that, too. Yeah, I'm not opposed. Yeah, I'll I'll add that to the list. Maybe I'll make that my first audiobook. Oh, my God. I'm a very not audiobook person. Try it because it, it doesn't feel super audiobook-y because she's reading these like personal essays and, and they're very funny. Um, okay, yeah, what about the last wonderful. book that made you cry or are you not a book crier either? Uh, I, I'm not a book crier as much, but uh, for I probably cannot credit the book alone okay. <laughs> for this. But like last year, I like gone through a breakup and like was like kind of deep in the like misery of of being relatively buttoned up in covid Mm -hmm. um and multiple times in parable of the sower Mm -hmm. and parable of the talents i was like found myself a little weepy Mm -hmm. but not like from any specific passage i think it was just the grimness of it yeah and my own (laughs) yeah Probably the book didn't really make me cry. Got this it. is what I mean. You were just an emotional place. That's, that's the last. Yeah, that's what I was crying last and reading. So I guess that okay, counts. That totally counts. <laughs> what about the last book that made you angry? Um, I mean, currently it remains Atlas Shrug okay. and it will be for <laughs> Um Yeah, I don't. It's. I, I think because as people have probably gathered i'm like not a very like i guess like kind of not a great reader so like (laughs) if anything kind of remotely makes me like like my my bar for putting a book down doesn't even extend to angry Mm. like yeah i you know just like a little annoyed a little bored and it's like it's been gone gotta go yeah i just don't know when i would so i get angry at the idea of books again have not read so you've been publicly shamed but i'm angry at it Right, but you hate it i love this for you yeah do you have um well you said you've read a lot of like classics and white 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 male books do you have any particular problematic fave I mean, I guess it would just have to be Richard Dawkins. Okay. Like, not, and not a fave, but I do think the selfish gene, um, again, I have not reread it in a while, but I, you know, it it would be fucking shocking to me (laughs) if any of his like later racism um, and transphobia is in there. Right. I mean, I suppose it could be, but like those like science books, I still, I just think are like the most like lucid, like rejoinder to like, you know, most, you know, creationism and conspiracy theories and things like that. It's just like really like fucking clear how evolution works um, and and could start from basic principles. Right. What about a book that people might be surprised to know that you love? Again, I, it's like one that I don't know if it would hold up so much. Okay. But, uh, I think in my teens, I really, really liked like and this is just like pretentious, grew up in Michigan, Andrew speaking, <laughs> um, pretentious teen surrounded by white people, which is like the the Douglas Copeland novels, like, oh. you know, Generation X I really liked. And like Microsurfs, I think is like, um, is good. But he has a collection of short stories called Life After God that I, th- I th- as a teen, I found to be very kind of romantic and cool. And I... I think they're probably still fine. But yeah, I, I, 
actually the one uh, the one audiobook I do remember really enjoying, and I still probably would be my favorite quote unquote favorite audiobook is Micro Surfs as read by Matthew Perry. Wow. From friends? Like, yeah, like Iconic. the most the most 90s shit that could possibly <laughs> exist. But I I just really I mean, I think at the time I was also like a bit of a computer nerd and it did not strike me as being problematic that like it's so painfully white. Right. But yeah, I you know, then again, uh, I, I wonder, I've not done anything to disabuse myself of this, like, like, so maybe there's, <laughs> maybe I don't like it. I, yeah. I, I, it's hard to imagine. It's probably, it's the same me that really liked, um, Rushmore. Okay. And Royal Tenenbaums. And I don't like that me for cinema. So now that, as I say it out loud, <laughs> there's kind of no way it would extend to literature, but <laughs> That's still my answer, I guess. <laughs> okay, I just have one more for you. We always do this one. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? Oh, my God. I mean, I think it would, probably, would actually be Parable of the Sower. Okay. I mean, it's just like Joe Biden put down the, like, you know... <laughs> The Skinnered liner notes, which is your normal bedtime reading, and like right. maybe not Skinner, that's too racist, but whatever, <laughs> whatever classic rock he grooves out to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's beyond not something I need to say, but Parable of the Sower, the predictive value of that point of view vis a vis fascism and apocalypses uh, was startling, is startling. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. That talks about where our society is going, has a better track record than like anything else. So I guess it would be that. All right. That's it from Andrew for today. He will be back the last week of December. We're going to be discussing A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib, my favorite book of the year, I think. I know it is my favorite. Spoiler alert. I'm going to talk about how much I love it at the end of the month. That's our book club pick. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. This was so wonderful. Yay. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, that does it for us today on The Stacks. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to Andrew for being my guest. Remember, The Stacks Book Club pick for December is A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib. We'll be discussing the book on Wednesday, December 29th with Andrew T. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. And please make sure you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the stacks, follow us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, the Our editor is Christian Duenas. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite. And our theme music is from Takira The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 